electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast. Squawk Box has taken over the Barclays Center. Joe Tsai, owner of the Brooklyn Nets on Barclays, the NBA and social justice. One thing that I realize when you own a sports team is it's larger than a sports team. It's a social institution. Why the billionaire founded the Asian American Foundation in response to crisis. Everybody's okay with Asian Americans as long as things are going well. But if there's a crisis, if there's a pandemic, there's a war, or there's an economic downturn, Asian Americans get scapegoated. Plus, where in the world is Jack Ma? Joe Tsai on the formerly public face of Alibaba's lower profile. He's fine. He is lying low right now. I talk to him every day. He's taken up painting as a hobby. It's actually pretty good. That interview, plus the Fed takes center court, inflation fears, and getting back out there, it's hard. I'm socially awkward, what can I say? It's Tuesday, June 15th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick along with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Joe is out today. Andrew is reporting live from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. And Andrew, I'm guessing it's not just because you want to make sure you get an early seat for tonight's game against the Bucks. That would be a good idea, but we are here, <laughs> Becky, because uh, it is game five. Uh, it's tied up two to two, but we have a big interview with the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, Joe Tsai, of course, the uh, co-founder, executive chairman of Alibaba. And we're going to talk all things sports, media, basketball, uh, social justice in America, and so much more. We are here at the Barclays Center. Uh, as you can see uh, right behind me, uh, 15,000 people will be here this evening. This is effectively the big reopen trade uh, to some degree, 98 percent. Uh, of the folks who will be here this evening and in the last game, or I should say in game two, uh, last game those played here, uh, 98% were vaccinated. I know we have a big conversation here about uh, vaccination. Uh, there is a uh, unvaccinated section. Uh, we'll talk about that as well, the testing and everything that's gone on here uh, to make uh, this game and the playoffs happen this season. It's worth it already because you were able to take over the Jumbotron. Give some credit. Jacqueline Corba, our, our amazing producer, and by the way, a just remarkable production team that's here today uh, that's been up all night putting this all together. But how Go beautiful Jackie. is that? I like it. So we could take over that and maybe we can take over the Times Square one here. Squawk box all over the place. This is the reopening trade. This is really what's happening. It is. This is the reopening trade. You bet. First up today on the pod, the Federal Reserve begins a two-day meeting. And if you listened to our podcast yesterday, June 14th, investor Paul Tudor Jones said it's going to be a big one. I think this Fed meeting could be the most important Fed meeting in Jay Powell's career, certainly the most important Fed meeting of the uh, of the past four or five years. 
And the reason was because we've had so much incoming data that challenges both their mission and their model. Some economists expect the Fed to mention a coming tapering of its $120 billion a month bond buying program, but not fully commit to changed policy yet, talking about talking about tapering. This is important because any formal taper talk marks the beginning of the end of the Fed's so-called easy money policies. The Fed began purchasing treasuries and mortgage securities last year as a way to keep money moving when the COVID-19 pandemic essentially shut the economy down. At the close of this two-day meeting, the Fed is expected to boost its inflation forecast for this year after hotter-than-expected readings this month and last month. Higher inflation in the future could prompt the Fed to change its interest rate forecast as well. Prices are rising everywhere. Food, materials, gas. Let's get back to Becky. We have watched WTI continue to climb yesterday. It hit an intraday high, the highest level since October of 2008, before settling back down just a little bit. But you see it's up by about half a percent this morning. In fact, WTI above $71 a barrel at this point, 71.22. And natural gas up another 1.7 percent yesterday. That really continues to take off. Uh, up this morning ever so slightly, but the gain there year to date, 32.3 percent. And Andrew, we talked about lumber the whole way up, so we better mention it on the way down, too. Yep. Lumber hit its lowest level since March 31st yesterday. This has been a, a week that has really seen an incredible sell-off for lumber prices, um, still up by about 14% for the year-to-date, but really coming back down and coming back down pretty quickly. It's been fascinating to watch. It'll be very interesting to see what it does to construction. J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon out with a warning on inflation. This was at a conference yesterday. He said the bank has been effectively stockpiling cash. It's fascinating to me. Rather than using it to buy treasuries or other investments. He says this because of the possibility of higher inflation will force the Fed to boost interest rates. The bank has positioned itself, he says, to benefit from rising interest rates, which will let it, therefore, buy higher yielding assets. Diamond says there's a very good chance that inflation will be more than transitory. So he's in the camp with Paul Tudor Jones on that topic. The bank now expecting $52.5 billion in net interest income in 2021. That would be down from the $55 billion it disclosed in February as the firm stockpiled cash. But the other thing, you, you remember we've had Ray Dalio on a million times where he says cash is trash. Well, cash and, is and trash. this is the thing that confuses me a little bit about this. To from, buy assets, right. Right, and you're saving the cash, but you're not gonna keep it in cash. If you really think inflation is here, exactly. you are not going to keep it in that cash. You're gonna plow it into something else. It sounds like they're looking um, at, at the interest rate complex, that they're looking at uh, bonds for where they'd be putting some of this money. But the other thing is you hear people who are stockpiling cash who want to put it in the markets if it turns out that inflation is coming, right. if it turns out that something happens along those lines, too. But um, cash is the worst place to be if you actually think inflation is there, unless you think you can be very quick and nimble and, and get into some of these plays where you're going to make good on it. It's not an argument for keeping cash over a long period of time. It's an argument for keeping cash that you can then be very opportunistic with. And that, that makes a lot of sense. Right. What he didn't say is what he considers the sort of inflation trade plays, which is, you know, we, we talked to Paul Tudor Jones yesterday. Obviously, he was telling people 5 percent. He said Bitcoin, 5 percent gold. If they treat it with nonchalance, if they say we're on we're on path, things are good, uh, then I would just go all in on the inflation, on the inflation trades. I'd probably buy commodities, buy crypto, buy gold. He was talking a lot about the commodity complex in terms of how he thinks about 
the quote-unquote inflation trade. And I've, I'd be very curious to know if Jamie Dimon sees the inflation trade the same way. Yeah. Be nice to hear from him. Maybe we can make that happen at some point soon. Frustration at the airport for thousands of Southwest Airlines passengers. The company said an issue with its weather data provider forced it to ground flights temporarily last night. Around 1,400 flights were actually delayed, and that set off a barrage of complaints from travelers on social media. A Southwest tweet said that most stations were back up and running by around midnight Eastern time. But, Andrew, with um, all of the air rage incidents that we've seen lately with uh, people being frustrated, you have to think that things like this... Right. Not a huge amount of patience probably out there for, for situations like this. Did you see, by the way, it was just yesterday, right? The news about the, the flight attendant who happened to be on the plane but wasn't working, who had their own sort of air rage situation. No, I didn't see it. It was unbelievable. It's just another example. Uh, it's, it's not just the regular passengers. This was, this, was, this was an attendant who wasn't working who had a rage Gotten moment. a rage arg- argument with the flight attendants there or with other passengers who were being annoying? With other passengers. It's, um, it, it, I, I don't know enough about it. to. I only know enough about it to be dangerous, so I, I won't <laughs> go into great detail. But it, it, I, you know, I it, have to it, admit, was, it looked pretty interesting to me. Coming back to work and get, getting back out there made me realize how antisocial I had been for about 14 months. It's not easy to readjust to talking to people, niceties, you know, kind of face-to-face interaction. I was used to not talking to anybody in the morning until 6 a.m. when we get, or 5.59 on a.m. when we come on air. I was right. used to kind of just... Our conversations. Right, going back and forth and not doing everything myself, being silent. I, would, I had a different routine for getting ready. Now I'm talking to people. And right. uh, there is a readjustment factor. We're, we're all a little rusty. How are you I think feeling inside? into it. How are you feeling inside stores? Because I had a couple of strange moments yesterday where I walked in stores with no mask and and they would say they're not wearing a mask and I'm not wearing a mask. I'm still wearing a mask. I'm kind of feeling a little I'm feeling a little naked and they and you're not really sure whether you're supposed to wear a mask or not. It feels to me like it's a polite thing at this point. I know. I don't I don't want to make anybody else feel uncomfortable. I'm fully vaccinated, but I, I don't know what the rules are. And I did go in a couple of stores last week and I kept a mask on one of the stores. They were requiring right. people to wear it. The other one, they weren't. And the people in the store, the right. workers in the store where they were requiring it were complaining that the people next door got to go without a mask. I, I just wear it because I still haven't kind of. So you know, I I'm, will tell I'm you, I, wore I don't know what to do. I, I was peer pressured into not wearing them. I mean, I don't know, peer pressure. I walked oh, into a store yesterday don't you with the mask on. Hold on, with the mask on. Nobody else was wearing the mask. And the, the, uh, uh, the woman who worked there wasn't wearing a mask. And I said, do you have to wear a mask? What, what are you supposed to, you know, it was one of those kind of conversations. Wait and a second, were said, you no, asking no, her if she was breaking the rules, if she didn't have one on? No, no, I was just, <laughs> I was so flustered by the whole situation because of just how, I mean, I don't think there was a, there was not a mask in sight. And all of a sudden I was there with my mask and everybody else was not. And I, and, and so I, and she said, well, if you're vaccinated, don't worry about it. And I said, well, no, no, I can keep it. And she said, don't worry about it. So then of course I, I took it off. Anyway, it was. And then you um, coughed immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, the weird thing is, is it's, it's not really polite to ask somebody if they're vaccinated either. So, it, you know, it, it leaves you in this right. uncomfortable gray zone right. where you're not sure how, well, like I said, I'm socially awkward. What can I say? But anyway, here we are, I should say, at the Barclays Center, and we're all masks, and there's a lot of space. So <laughs> what can be said? But everybody's vaccinated. And by the way, they, 
massive checks when you get here. It was. I mean, how, do you have to prove they're, they're it with serious. your passport? Like, how do they check the? They didn't for us, but they do. How do they? They do tonight. Yeah. They do tonight. Coming up next on Squawk Pod, Alibaba co-founder, billionaire entrepreneur, and owner of the Brooklyn Nets, Joe Tsai. Where does the global economy go from here? But the real question is employment numbers. Our employment numbers are going to come back. Things don't get overheated unless there's a huge shortage of supply of labor. And recognizing and combating racial injustice. Well, I started to notice sort of rising anti-Asian sentiment because of COVID. As a, a Chinese person, you know, I, I kind of felt it personally. We'll be right back. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod, where our Andrew Ross Sorkin is on location with Joe Tsai, a co-founder and executive chairman of Alibaba and owner of the Brooklyn Nets. Hey, Andrew, can we go back to your Jumbotron shot? Because that is impressive for anybody who's just tuning in. This is my favorite shot of the morning. Uh, Squawk Box has taken over the Barclays Center. There's the Jumbotron. And Andrew, just so you don't think that you're the only one who has some special signage, I want you to take a look at what I have. What do you got? I've got the Squawk Box Porta Potty in Times Square. <laughs> Joe Sai is here. He's Alibaba's co-founder, executive vice chairman, and he is the owner of the Brooklyn Nets. We are at Barclays Center uh, this morning. Thank you for having us. And tonight's the big game. It's the big game. Thanks, Andrew, for having me. Um, thank you. Thank you for having us. Um, let me start with this. We talked in September, I don't know if you remember, Delivering Alpha, we're talking about the economy and we were talking about what the post-pandemic world would look like. This actually is the ultimate post-pandemic trade, uh, if you will. And I'm curious, I mean, we're going to have 15,000 fans plus in here tonight, sort of how you see the economy coming back here in the United States, what you've seen in China, and sort of how you see this all playing out at this point. Well, Andrew, I just came in from Hong Kong where the economy is terrible. And that's because the government has been focused very much on, still on the spread of the virus, uh, where uh, here in the United States, everybody's been focused on vaccinations. If you're vaccinated, then you could live a normal life. Right. And that's what we're talking about. So when I landed in New York, I was very surprised. Uh, I, I went to uh, our home game, game two, uh, with full, we had a full house, right? You know, and. You know, we had an unvaccinated section with some social distancing, but by and large, it was a full house sellout crowd. 98% were vaccinated. 98% were vaccinated. And that's very, very encouraging. 
And based on that stat, I'm, what I'm seeing, what I'm seeing is uh, the economy is definitely coming back. It's going to roar back. Uh, when you go out to restaurants, uh, people are having a good time. Uh, so this is pretty much normal. And but you said in Hong Kong, not so much. Not so much right now, uh, but I think uh, uh, pretty soon the government is going to focus on vaccinations. Right now, only 10% of the population is vaccinated. Uh, in the case of China, they're, they're trying to get 40% of uh, the population vaccinated by the end of June. So that's, that's going to be a good sign. Right. What do you see else around the world in terms of, given, given the sort of span of the Alibaba business ar- around the world, what you're seeing in Europe, what you're seeing in other places right now? By the way, even in Japan, they're having trouble with the vaccination. The Olympics is coming up. Yeah, well, well we are, uh, you know, 90 plus percent of our business is in China. China. So that's very much coming back. Right. And in, terms of, uh, in, in terms of the supply chains and whatnot. In terms of supply chain, also in terms of consumption. So in the last fiscal year, we have 40 plus percent year on year revenue growth. Uh, that's very encouraging. We're now up to over 800 million annual active consumers on our Chinese retail platform. But if you count Southeast Asia and also right. parts of Europe where we're active, uh, we now have over a billion uh, annual active consumers. Right. And uh, we, we see that uh, the various parts of the economy will largely come back at the end of the, the day, uh, but it's all gonna be dependent on vaccinations. Uh, you know, the rate <clears throat> at which the population is vaccinated. How worried are you about the US economy overheating? This is a conversation we were talking with Paul Tudor Jones yesterday. Big questions right. about inflation, uh, the Fed meeting over the next two days on this very issue. Where do you stand? So I'm not an expert. I'm not an economist. But the way I see it is you're going to see some sort of uh, short-term tick up in the inflation rate. Uh, obviously, the year-on-year comparison is an easy comparison with very robust numbers. Uh, but the real question is employment numbers. Are employment numbers going to come back? Uh, uh, things don't get overheated unless um, uh, there's a huge shortage of supply of labor uh, with overriding demand and rising wages, right? Right. So um, I think the Fed has been very clear on a very um, uh, sort of benign policy. Uh, They even can tolerate some overshooting of the inflation rate uh, before they pull back. I want to talk to you a little bit about your role as the owner of this team, but also in the context of social justice, because this has become a town square, if you will, for social justice. And a lot of business leaders, I think, are grappling with this issue of their role in it. How have you thought about that? So one thing that I realize when you own a sports team is it's larger than a sports team. It's a social institution. You're doing it for the fans. You're doing it for uh, the broader population. I'm really glad we're situated in Brooklyn because we have the best fans in the world. And uh, uh, having this building, you know, Barclays Center here, uh, kind of fortuitously, we have this square or plaza in front of us with some empty space. So then this became a uh, location for people to gather and focus on whatever social cause that they want to focus on. Uh, This building has been the site of uh, for us to hand out food uh, uh, with uh, food in cooperation with food banks. Right. Um, it's been the site of uh, vaccinations. It's been the site of voting. Uh, and obviously with uh, the last year after the George Floyd incident, uh, people protested for uh, social justice against racism. And I think that's very, very important. And seeing all this happen organically 
in front of Barclays Center, that was great. I, I felt very, very good about it. Did you ever think, I mean, you've, you just bought this team now a couple of years ago. Did you ever think you would be involved in all of this? No, I, I didn't. I guess four years ago, I didn't, I, I had no idea. Uh, but the NBA is very interesting. It's a very, um, uh, I, I think it's a quite interesting sort of economic proposition in addition to all this uh, glitzy fanfare, right? When you, when you look at the players, they're huge mega superstars. Uh, but the business side of things uh, is just also quite attractive uh, in that team values are rising every year. And, uh, but before I came into this, I had no idea that this was going to work uh, the way it did. I want to talk more about the economics of basketball uh, in just a minute. But I want to ask you about this because you got involved in something called the Asian American Foundation, founding it effectively. It's really the first um, foundation focused on Asian Americans in the country in this, right. in, in this right. way. And it comes, by the way, on the heels, we're talking about uh, Black Lives Matter. How did you get involved in that? And what, what, what is it that you're trying to do? So this happened uh, more than a year ago, actually. Uh, you know, I started to notice um, sort of rising anti-Asian sentiment uh, because of COVID. Uh, everybody thinks that COVID came from China and therefore, you know, as a, a Chinese person, you know, I, I kind of felt it personally. And, uh, uh, and then you start to see a lot of uh, crimes happening. So there was a period of time when every day you wake up, you see a new report of uh, anti-Asian hate crime. Uh, so a group of us uh, Asian Americans got together. Uh, we formed the Asian American Foundation. And uh, what are the problems that we're trying to solve, right? If you, if you look at the Asian American community in America, uh, everybody's okay with Asian Americans as long as things are going well. If the economy is well, the Asian Americans play by the rules, uh, prosper together with everybody else, that's fine. But if there's a crisis, if there's a pandemic, there's a war or there's an economic downturn. Uh, Asian Americans get scapegoated. Right. And just look at history, right? Uh, back in the 1800s, uh, they banned Chinese immigrants coming into America. And uh, during World War II, uh, when America was at war with Japan, they actually interned, they, they put 120,000 American citizens that are of Japanese descent into concentration camps. And then you have, uh, in the 80s, Vincent Chin. Uh, what happened was he, uh, uh, you know, there was a uh, economic downturn because Japanese cars were overtaking American cars. So there was a huge animosity against the Japanese in Detroit. Vincent Chin, who's Chinese, by the way, went to a bar, got beaten up. They killed him. They beat him to death uh, by two auto workers in Detroit. Uh, and these two guys uh, got off pretty much without any jail time. So there's, there's a lot of that sort of uh, undertone of anti-Asian sentiment. When things are good, that's fine. When things are bad for everyone, that's when those ugly uh, right. shoots come out. And, you, and you've uh, partnered with uh, people like Jerry Yang, who founded Yahoo, and so many right. others, uh, Joe Bay, who's a, uh, who's a KKR, to put, this, to put this group together. I was shocked to see that the amount of philanthropy focused on Asian Americans is 0.05% in this country. Right, right. And we were shocked to find that number. Uh, we had our team do a little bit of research, and then they came back and said, over the last 20, 30 years, if you look at the foundation money that's dedicated to Asian American causes, 0.5% or less. And uh, so 
we said, well, if money is the issue, uh, this is what we're going to focus on as the initial thing. Um, <clears throat> so the credit to people like Jerry Yang, Joe Bay, Li Lu, uh, Pen Zhao uh, from uh, Citadel Securities, uh, Sheila Marcello, uh, and all of our board members, as well as the Anti-Defamation League. We got uh, Jonathan Greenblatt from the ADL involved right. as a board member because they gave us a huge amount of support on the issue of anti-hate. Uh, you know, that's familiar territory for, for the ADL. And uh, so thanks to the board, we step up with a commitment ourselves of $125 million. And then we went out and told the corporates, look, 0.5% is the number. What are you going to do about it? And to our surprise, everybody came in very enthusiastically. We had all the large corporates, uh, uh, you know, partners uh, coming into this. By the time we launched, we had, I think you reported on it, it yep. was like $250 million yep. when we launched from corporates. Uh, right now, we have raised over a billion dollars. I think the number is $1.1 billion we've raised from the corporates and foundations. Not all of that money is going to come to us, come to the foundation. Uh, uh, most of that money will be spent on other Asian American organizations that are doing right. great work in anti-hate, in uh, getting people to go out to vote, and in you know, all the great work that they're doing. So here's a hard question for you. I think it's a hard question. I don't know. How do you think about your role as a leader here in the United States mm -hmm. on issues around Asian Americans, Black Lives Matter, um, voting rights, all of that, and whether and how you can speak out about, for example, human rights abuses in China? It's a hard one, I know. You have to be specific on what human rights abuse you're talking about, uh, because the China that I see, uh, the, the large number of the population, I'm talking about 80-90% of the population, are very, very happy with the fact that their lives are improving every year. When I started Alibaba in 1999, the GDP per capita was $800 in China. Today is over $10,000. And if you talk to a parent in, you know, in China and you ask them, are your children going to have a better life than you are? Right. Most of them will say, absolutely yes. Uh, they're going to be educated. They're going to find a good job. The economy is expanding, right? So I'd like you to be more specific on that. Well, let me just ask you to you in this way, though. <clears throat> there are a lot of American business leaders today that are being pushed by their employees, by consumers to say, look, we're taking a stand here on voting rights, for example, in the United States. Mm -hmm. You're also doing business in China. You should be consistent, right? Even Marco Rubio and others were actually criticizing American companies for what he was arguing was a hypocrisy. Um, and when you talk to a lot of American business leaders, they say, look, I, I can speak out here, but I know that I'm not in a position to speak out there because if I speak out there, it's not that my hand is going to get slapped. It's that my business is going to be uh, damaged by the government because I'm just not allowed to do it. Yeah, I think American company CEOs understand this very well, uh, which is different cultures have different values and mores. And uh, in China, you have different set of values. You also have a very different political system in that uh, one single party dominates the governance of the country, which, you know, whether you like it or not, uh, there are some great benefits. Like China has dis managed to build a terrific infrastructure because there's no politicking 
around whether you should build a highway from point A to right. point B, right? So these are, these are all the benefits. And the, the bottom line is you have to look at the results. Are people happy? Uh, when I look at China, the average citizen is very hopeful about the future. Uh, they're happy about where they are. And, you know, I, I think that's but, but, really... But, 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 you, but, you, but you read the same headlines that I do about some of the human rights issues, no? I live in Hong Kong, right? So everybody is uh, worried. Uh, I, I still think it's kind of funny that people call me up, you know, on these big Zoom calls and say, Joe, where are you? And I say, I'm in Hong Kong. And they say, oh, are you okay, right? Uh, well, over the last year, Hong, uh, they imposed the national security law. Hong Kong is one of the very few places that did not have a national security legislation in place. Uh, what is this for? It's against uh, uh, sedition. It's against uh, people that advocate splitting up Hong Kong as a separate country. Uh, these are things that are not allowed. You know why? Because Hong Kong used to be a colony. Um, you know, a few hundred years ago, uh, China lost Hong Kong to the Brits because of the opium war. The British want to sell opium into China and uh, uh, and as a result of uh, 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 some battles, uh, China had to give, carve up Hong Kong and gave it up. This is a very scarring kind of history of China, B- having foreign powers come in and carve up your territories. Right. So, for, so if you put yourself in the Chinese people's mindset, you know, if you're a Chinese citizen, uh, I look at this history. I want to make sure that we prevent foreign powers uh, from carving up our territories. I think Hong Kong ought to be seen... In that context, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of criticism of, uh, you know, the d- democratic freedoms or freedoms of speech is being suppressed. But overall, since they instituted the national security law, everything is now stabilized. In 2019, when people were protesting on the streets, I was actually afraid to walk onto the street. You know why? Because I speak Mandarin. And they were targeting every person that spoke Mandarin because they would assume that you come from the mainland. Uh, you know, well, I actually grew up in Taiwan where I also, you know, they speak Mandarin right. there. And uh, so I actually felt physically threatened uh, with, with uh, the, these uh, protesters, right? So I think now we have more stability. Hong Kong is going to be fine. You know why? Because it's free market economy. Uh, when you invest in Hong Kong, free flow of capital. You put money into the Hong Kong Stock Exchange today in, uh, in Hong Kong dollars. Tomorrow you can take it out in U.S. dollars. There's a free flow of capital. It's also, uh, it also has the most benign tax system there is for capital formation. Uh, the income tax rate is only 15%. And then there's no capital gains rate, no taxes on capital gains, dividends. And uh, so if you want to invest right. in Hong Kong... Uh, great for capital formation. I want to talk to you more about that in a second, but I know that Becky's got a question back in the studio. Becky? Yeah, Joe, I just wonder, how's Jack Ma? You've been working with him for over 20 years, and after kind of seeing him on the global stage for, for such a long time, we haven't seen him in a long time. What, what, how's he doing, and what's happening with the rectifications of his businesses? So uh, I think you have to separate uh, what's happening to Jack and what's happening to our business. I think our business is, uh, you know, under some uh, kind of uh, uh, restructuring uh, in the, on the financial side of things. Uh, and also uh, in antitrust regula- uh, regulation, uh, we, you know, had to pay a big fine, right. but we've gotten that behind us. 
so we're looking forward. Uh, in Jack's case, he's fine. He's uh, lying low right now. I talk to him every day. Mm -hmm. I actually message him. We have our own you know, messaging platform. Um, he's actually uh, doing very, very well. He's taken up painting as a hobby. Uh, it's actually pretty good. I can show you some photos mm -hmm. later. Well, what, well, let me ask, to follow up on what Becky was asking, though, is there is either speculation or headlines that suggest that the, the Chinese government effectively has has effectively taken his power away from him, that he's, he's laying low because of the role of government, that the, that the government has, has effectively taken his power in the context of Alibaba, in terms of what they've done with the Alipay IPO, in terms of what they've done even with his, the, the, the business school that he was uh, putting together. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you see that? Do you feel that? Does he feel that? What, give us a little bit of color on how we should think about that and understand it. Well, you know, Ch Jack is, uh, since about two years ago, he stepped down as the CEO um, uh, of the company. Also, he uh, right. handed over the chairmanship of the company to Daniel Zhang, who's our current CEO. Uh, so for the last two years, he's pretty much out of the business. And uh, uh, I think the idea that Jack has this enormous amount of power, um, I think that's not, not quite right. Uh, he is... Look, he is just like you and me. He's a normal individual. He wants to, he has built a tremendous, uh, uh, you know, company uh, of this scale. He's done great things for society. Right. He's done uh, quite good things in the philanthropic area. Right. So, uh, I, you know, I, I think today he just wants to sort of say, hey, you know, I, I want to focus on something. I, I want to focus on what I really want to spend time on which is, uh, you know, all the hobbies, all the philanthropy, and that's where he is now. But, but just to put a fine point on it, do you believe he's laying low willingly? Maybe that's the question. Uh, I think so. I think he's, well, I, th I don't think he's laying low, uh, you know, in the area of philanthropy. Right. I don't think he's laying low, uh, you know, with his friends and everything. Uh, you know, he's living a normal life. Right. After business, right? Um, let me ask you a couple other questions about basketball uh, because tonight is going to be a big game. James Harding is not going to be playing, uh, unfortunately, uh, but he's just joined the board of Sachs. Did you see this? I saw that. I kind of saw Instagram do you, photos. Do you advise him or any of the other players? I was going to say, uh, Kevin Durant, so many of these players have become not just players but entrepreneurs in their own right. Do you guys have lots of conversations about uh, venture capital and, and maybe investing money? Yeah, so I, th I don't think you should see players as these one-dimensional uh, people, right? Uh, they happen to excel in basketball, uh, but they also care about what they want to do, you know, outside of basketball or maybe post-career in the NBA. And I think it's pretty natural uh, that they realize how much influence and power they have uh, and, and the fans that they... Uh, you know, they attract, right. uh, they can leverage that to market whatever they want. And, and I, th I think it's great. Um, I, by the way, I didn't advise James Harden on getting onto the board of uh, Sachs. He, he, he did it himself. Uh, and I think it's a great thing. I mean, look at this, uh, the, the fashion walk coming into the tunnel, right? right. We, uh, all these guys with, uh, you know, all the, the NBA fashion now has become a thin, right? Right. Something that my, my son, my, my kids, my two sons and my daughter, they follow all the time. 
they like care about what these guys wear before the game. Right. Um, we got to run. Where are you going to be sitting tonight? I'm going to be sitting somewhere uh, across from the bench, uh, okay. probably on the floor. And uh, do you have a couple of seats. How does uh, this how does this work? Do you get to choose your seat the, at the, the game of or the day of or how does it work? Well, I have to fight uh, among my friends for seats right. because they all want, want seats. And sometimes I want to be nice and give them my seats, right? So it's always a fight. What do you think is the best <laughs> seat in the house, for real? Uh, I think, I think the best center, seat. Is it center court on the court? There's some people who like to yeah. be, by the way, right behind the basket. Yeah. You know what? I think the best seat in the house is where Steve Nash sits uh, because he's got the whole game plan going. He's got formations and, you know, where the player, who he wants the players. Right. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but, you know, I just, I would just love to be in that seat and also sort of have his brain uh, think through him. Well, uh, I'm rooting for the home team, so I wish you lots of luck tonight. Thank you. I assume Lazary will be here too. You'll have to, right? Is Mark Lazary? Mark Lazary will be here. Yes. He'll, he's, uh, you guys will he's not great. be sitting together, but maybe, maybe, I don't know. Do the owners ever sit together? Sometimes we do. Right, not on a game like tonight. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. good luck. Thank you. Sir, hello, James. Can you hear me? Squawk Pod will be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Standby Pro A, pull wide six. And that's the podcast. If you want to see pictures of today's Squawk Box Jumbotron at Barclays Center, check us out on Twitter at Squawk CNBC. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.